Good morning. It's good to be here today. Uh, this is usually the time when our kids go to children's church. They're going to hang out here for just a minute, though, and they're going to go in just a minute because uh, we're going to have some help from some of our students to read our, our scripture, our Bible story this morning. So all the children's church folks are going to hang out until then, and, and then they'll go. Because uh, this is kind of where we're, we're thinking about back-to-school stuff today. We've got our big back-to-school blessing later on today. Our students start back-to-school this week. And so this morning in our sermon, we're going to talk about the story of Naaman. Um, Maybe you have, at some point in your life, had questions about God, uh, questions about your future, questions about your, your purpose, your faith, um, questions about how some seemingly unsolvable problem in your life was going to get fixed or solved. And if you haven't had those questions, then, then good on you and keep going. <laughs> For the rest of us, uh, yes, just wait, Kevin says. For the rest of us, I think this story has something to say to us. And I think it's a reminder that, that sometimes those answers uh, come at the bottom of dirty riverbeds and not always from well-written books or, or even quite moving sermons, as hard as that might be to imagine. Uh, sometimes the answers come in the form of, of the simplest things we can do, not in the grandiose or the extravagant or the, the magical. Uh, and so this story... I think has much to say to us. And so, like I said, I'm going to have some of our students come up. Some of our students are going to help us tell the story today because there's a lot of different voices in it. Uh, and so I thought on our Back to School Sunday, this would be a good day to involve some of our students. So if y'all want to come up, whoever uh, is, is helping, you know who you are. This isn't just random. So uh, come on up. Isley, come on up. You ready? Um, I think that's everybody, right? So they're going to, yeah, Jasmine and Hannah, y'all over there. Aiden, Regan, y'all come up and stand in the middle here. Y'all are going to share this one. Then they are going to tell us the story. Whoops, I thought it was there. There it is. Story of Naaman. So Jasmine, take it away. Um, now Naaman, oh, it works. <laughs> um, now Naaman was a commander of the army of Syria. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a valiant soldier. He was a valiant soldier, but had leprosy. Now bands of raiders from Syria had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, "If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy." Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. "By all means, go." The king of Syria replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. The letter he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending you my servant Naaman, so to you that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a fight with me. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have, have the man come to me, and he, will, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. 
But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call in the name of the Lord as God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some, some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all of his servants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel, so please accept a gift from your servant. The prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. If you will not, said Naaman, please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry. For your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other god but the Lord. May the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. When my master enters the temple of Rimon to bow down and he is leaning on my arm and I have to bow there also. When I bow down in the temple of Rimon, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. Go in peace. Elisha said. All right, now they're going to go to Children's Church. Thank you. <laughs> and they're leaving now. <laughs> uh, so, I know that was a lot to take in. It's a little bit of a long story, um, but I thought it'd be a good one to have them help us out with. But we're going to walk our way back through it. If, if you were wondering where that is, that's in 2 Kings uh, chapter 5. So if you want to turn there, you can turn there. I'm going to walk us back through some of the story um, and then make some comments uh, on it as well. 2 Kings chapter 5, it's the beginning going from 1 to 19. Again, I'm not going to read through it all the way, but we'll kind of walk our way back through it now that we've kind of heard it um, all told. So we're introduced to this man named Naaman, and we're, we're told that he's a very important uh, person in, in the Syrian army. Your, your Bible may say Aram, uh, Syria, Aram, it's the, the same thing. And so we're introduced to him with this, I think, what is a, a great just literary sentence. It says, he was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. It's just a great sentence. Uh, now, especially in the Old Testament, in Hebrew, leprosy could, could refer to uh, a variety of, of ailments or, or illnesses, skin diseases, but it was typically something that referred to something very isolating, very crippling, uh, and in some cases even fatal. Uh, and we also hear in this sentence that leprosy is not a respecter of persons. Uh, he was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. And so now they've got this, this problem. What do you do with this now? Uh, as luck would have it, though, Naaman's wife has a servant from Israel who they acquired in very upstanding and, and integrity-filled ways of capturing her from her homeland and bringing her back. Uh, and so she says, though, she says, hey, there's this, there's this prophet back in my homeland uh, of Samaria, and, and he can help you. 
And so we've got a map here, because this may be a little confusing to you, if you because in the, in the New Testament, Samaria is not part of, of, of Israel. It's kind of separated by that point. But in this point in the Old Testament story, uh, this is part when, when Israel is what we call the divided kingdom. So Israel has been divided up into two. There's a southern kingdom of Judah, which includes Jerusalem. And then there's the northern kingdom of Israel, uh, the capital of which is Samaria, which is where Elisha is. And so you can see up here at top, the Aram or Syria, uh, that's where uh, Naaman is. And he hears about this prophet who is down in Samaria, who is Elisha, who, who we're going to come back to in just a minute. And you can see that line there, that river, that's the Jordan River. So this map has all the key things we need, as, as modern as it looks in appearance. <laughs> it's got all the key points that we need. Uh, so, so Naaman says, okay, that sounds like a good idea. Uh, so he goes to his master, the king of Syria. King of Syria says, yeah, that, that's great. We got to figure this thing out. Take all this money and 10 sets of clothes, which seems kind of random, um, and you go down. I'll send even the letter with you to the king of Israel uh, asking him to, to cure you of your leprosy. And so the Israel, Israel's king gets this letter, and he hears it basically as a provocation to war. These are fighting words, he thinks. Because he gets this letter, and he's like, Who am, I can't cure somebody of leprosy. Uh, this guy's just trying to start a fight with me, because he's sending me a task that he knows I won't be able to do. No one can do this. And so he's just trying to, to have something that he can hold over me to start a fight. Uh, Syria and, and Israel have had battles before. They will have battles in the future, not too far after this. And it's probably very likely that Naaman himself has led military charges against Israel. And we know there are people in Naaman's house who have been captured from Israel because he has a servant that was captured from there. So it's not like these two countries are, are great friends anyways. And now the Israel, Israel's king thinks, see, they're just trying to pick another fight with me. Sending me their military leader with leprosy and saying, here, cure him. Like, I can't do that. So he's distraught. But Elisha finds out about it. He says, no, it's all right. I'll take care of it. I've got it. Just send him to me. So then you've got this foreign dignitary this incredibly important person from Syria who goes and basically knocks on Naaman's door. And Naaman doesn't even go out to see him. He's like, ah, just send a messenger out there. <laughs> I don't need to bother with that. I think he's kind of working on Naaman's pride a little bit. Like, nah, I'm not even going to go talk to him. You go talk to him, and I tell you what, just tell him to go swim in the Jordan River. Uh, now, for Israelites, the Jordan River had great significance and importance. Importance. Uh, to Naaman, it was just dirty water. The Jordan wasn't necessarily uh, beautiful in, in most places. You can hear that in, in some of Naaman's words, like, hey, there's better rivers in Damascus than this. Why do I got to get in this dirty water? So he doesn't even go out to meet him, sends him to this dirty river. And this does not sit well with Naaman. Naaman says, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot, and cure me of my leprosy. <laughs> Isn't that great? He's like, I thought, I thought that, that Elisha would come out and do some cool trick, right? And I'd be able to see the leprosy just go away. Uh, maybe you've had a similar experience. Maybe not with leprosy. But have you ever expected God to show up in big and impressive ways? Have you had something you were bringing to God and you thought, I'm, I'm ready for this, this faith moment, and I want God to, to show up in, in big ways that I won't be able to miss. There are times that I think we, we, we want God to have this type of, of, of larger-than-life presence in our lives, 
and maybe sometimes we want God to, to wave his hand over, over something in our lives to make something disappear or something to reappear or appear. And instead, all he asks us to do is to get muddy. Uh, this isn't the response that Naaman is looking for. Naaman is an important man. He's a man of, of status and, and prestige, and, and he's got this huge, unsolvable problem on his hands. And he's expecting a, a solution that will match the, the gravi gravity and, and magnitude of who he is and the problem that he has. And instead, this guy doesn't even go out to meet him, just says, ah, just go get muddy in that dirty river. This doesn't sit very well with Naaman. Naaman's servants, though, they recognize the kind of stupidity of what Naaman is doing. Um, if you remember, just a few verses ago, the, Israel, the Israelite king thinks this is such an, an unanswerable question that he sees it as a provocation to war. And now Naaman has been told all he has to do to fix this problem is go swim in a river. So your perspective on it matters, right? <laughs> Uh, and so this, this seemingly unsolvable problem, now he says, okay, if you just go swimming, you'll get rid of it. But Naaman is so blinded by pride and, and what he was expecting that he can't see that. And so his servants, as usually happens in the story, it's the servants and the captives that speak wisdom into the mighty and valiant Naaman. His servants come to him and say, hold on, Naaman, let's, let's just take a step back and, and think about what's going on. They say to him, uh, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? Uh, you see, these are people who probably knew Naaman very well. They've seen Naaman go in and, and probably conquer whole villages, regions, countries maybe even. They know that Naaman does not back down from a quest. And so I'm guessing that they are assuming, you know what, Naaman, if if, if Elisha had come out and given you some grand journey or quest to go on, you would have done it without hesitation. And we can kind of picture what that would look like, right? Uh, so imagine if Elisha comes out. He says, you know, Naaman, uh, there's this magical flower on the top of Mount Sinai. <laughs> uh, but it's guarded by the, uh, the guardians of the flower. And so you're going to have to go defeat the guardians of the flower, bring the flower back to me by sundown tomorrow before it's too late, and you'll be cured of your leprosy. And Naaman's probably putting on his, 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 his armor, getting all his people together, and he's ready to go, right? This is like a medieval Disney movie that, that would, would be sure to draw in audiences. The, the valiant soldier with leprosy. Um, you would watch that movie, right? This is, this is a live-action one that I think needs to get made. This would be great. Um, I'm glad you appreciate that picture. It took way too long for, than what it was worth to put together. So, But this is like Disney. That, that's the, I think that's what Naaman is expecting, this kind of Disney magical moment where he's going to have to do something big and grand and wonderful and, and courageous and brave, and now you just got to go get muddy. But the shift in perspective that the servants provide kind of helps him to see, okay, maybe this is something I can do. I think Naaman reveals something about us as people uh, and that is that sometimes it's easier to get up for the really big things. Uh, I can psych myself up for the big things. I, I can gather up what I need to do the big things. It's the routine, the mundane, the everyday stuff that can sometimes be harder. 
I think we see that in, in many walks of life. I think we find that in relationships, right? If you're married, if you have a significant other, sometimes it can be easier to come up with that, that great, big, grand gesture, the perfect Christmas gift, the, the weekend surprise getaway. Sometimes those things are easier than, than paying attention to the dishes in the sink every day, right? Picking up my dirty laundry. And sometimes we might even think, if we're honest with ourselves, that if I do a couple of really big things, I can skate on some of the smaller stuff. Because <laughs> I'm doing the big things well. Uh, we do it in school, right? I want to know what's on the big test. What, what, what's on the test? I can get up for the big test. But man, those daily journal writings, do y'all still do those daily journal things in schools? Like, teachers not really, yeah, they don't really read them, so I can just write down. What, it's, it's the mundane, everyday stuff, right, that kind of falls through the cracks. I think we find that the same is true in our faith, that we can get up for the big things, but it's the little everyday routine things that cause problems for us. But I think we find in life and in relationships and in faith that it's those, the routine, the everyday, the small things that have staying power and that build the strongest foundation. It's about doing simple routine things consistently well. Uh, Mother Teresa is quoted as saying, the faithful in, uh, be faithful in small things because it is in them that your strength lies. I think we find this is true when it comes to our walk with Christ, that there are small and simple things that we can do to cultivate our spiritual journey, our walk with Christ, that will have enormous impact if we pursue them with great discipline and, and purpose and intentionality. Uh, I don't know why exactly it is that, that Elisha has Naaman dipped seven times in the river, but I think it, if nothing else, it reinforces this idea that when we do small things consistently and with purpose, they can have great impact. Uh, so there are a couple of takeaways that, that I think we can take from this story this morning. And I think they have application for our students, our teachers, our administrators, our parents who are preparing for, for school this week. But I, I think they have certainly application for, for each of us thinking about our life, our faith, our coming week. And so the first one of those is this. Uh, don't neglect the small opportunities throughout your day to connect with God or to lift up others. I think we find these opportunities throughout our day, but sometimes we can overlook them. So for instance, if you're a student or a teacher, maybe at your school, you may have something like a moment of silence at the beginning of the day. Uh, and, and maybe this is a time that you overlook because it's really short. Or maybe it's a time that, that, that you kind of are bitter about because you wish it was something else. You wish it, wish it was a, a fuller, more robust prayer or something like that. Uh, but you've got this, this time carved out of every weekday morning. Take advantage of it. Use it. Uh, there, there are short, centering prayers you can do that, that are just a few words. A famous one, a well-known one uh, that, that Christians have used for, for a long time is something like what we call a breath prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God. Have mercy on me, a sinner. It's a simple prayer. It's a short prayer. It's a, it's a prayer you can say in any moment of silence. But, but think about what you are proclaiming to yourself in that prayer. That Jesus is your Christ, your Messiah. Christ isn't his last name. It's a, it's a description of who he is. He's the Messiah. He is your Lord, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God. You're proclaiming his, his divinity and his connection to God. Have mercy on me, a sinner. You're proclaiming your, your need for mercy, your need 
for God and that that mercy is something that, that comes from God and something you need to have an active role in, in pursuing and inviting yourself into. Not that you can earn it, not that there's anything you can do to, to, pro, to um, gain it in that way, but that it's something you need to be open to in your own life. These are all things that can be proclaimed to yourself just within this short little prayer. Uh, and and the, the funny secret about that is that for the rest of us, we can do the same thing at red lights, right? Instead of checking the notification on our phone, <laughs> uh, say a short prayer. We can take advantage of the small opportunities in our day to cultivate simple acts of faith-building disciplines. The same thing is true with, with our interactions with others, that there may be seemingly small ways that we can have an impact on others with our words, with the things that we say, by lifting others up. So don't neglect small opportunities to connect with God and to lift others up. That's the first, first takeaway from this morning. Uh, so, Naaman's enraged, story tells us. He's, he's just beside himself. He hasn't been given this great task to do, um, and he's, just, he's seemingly just furious. But his, his servants, who seem to have maybe at least enough of a relationship to him that they can say, hey, well, Naaman, you know, really it's not that bad. You can swim, so let's... Let's go do this. And so Naaman says, fine. That's not in there, but I think it is. <laughs> Naaman says, fine, we'll go. So he goes to the dirty river, doesn't know why he's doing it. Why do I have to dip seven times? You know, twice should be good. Seventh time he comes up, he's completely restored. And his skin is, uh, in some translations, it says it was like that of a young boy. He's, he's just got completely renewed, restored, rejuvenated skin and health and energy. And so now he's just ready to go. And he remembers all this stuff he's got. He's got all this gold. He's got all this silver. So he's like, all right, I got to go back to Elisha and give him a gift for, for getting me out of this situation. So he goes back to Elisha. He says, man, look, this is great. I, I was cured. I, I want to give you something. So Elisha says, no, I can't take anything. It doesn't say this in the text, but uh, I imagine because Elisha doesn't want to take credit for what he sees as obviously the work of God in this situation and in Naaman's life. So Elijah, Elisha refuses, says, I'm not going to take that. And so then Naaman says something kind of strange. He doesn't force it. He doesn't say, no, I want you to take it. Instead, he says, okay, let me have some of your dirt. <laughs> Which isn't where you would expect the story to go, right? <laughs> Naaman says, all right, if you won't take all my gold and silver, then I want some of your dirt. Uh, specifically, here's what he says. He says, if you will not, please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry, for your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other God but the Lord. Uh, so we've got this guy who just a few verses earlier is, is just beside himself because he's got to get in a river in Israel. Like, the nerve of somebody to tell me get in dirty Israelite water. Like, I could be able to go back, I should be able to go back to Damascus and do that. Water is water. That same guy is now like, let me take as much dirt from Israel as I can back home. Something doesn't add up, right? Like, I wish, I hope one of his servants has enough of a relationship with him to kind of elbow him here and say, isn't the dirt in Damascus better than all the dirt in Israel? Like, just remember what you said just a minute ago? What, what gives? What's changed? And so I think it's because, and we, we've talked about this, I think we talked about this in our, in our Jonah series, that especially at this time in the world, people had very territorial views of gods. 
that God's sort of had in, in, in the minds of most people, jurisdiction over certain people, uh, over certain things, and over certain areas of land. And you can kind of hear this in Naaman's response. If you go back after Naaman comes up out of the river, listen to what he says and how it's tied to location. He says, now I know that there is no God in all the world, no God in all the world except in Israel. So he has tied God to a place. And he knows, I have experienced the God of Israel here. I have had an experience with Yahweh here in this place. This is the place that I associate with God. This is where God is. And so if I've got to go back over here, I need to take something with me from that place. I need to take some of that earth, some of that dirt, and bring it back with me to create this, this sacred Yahweh-filled place over here. Because he says, I know when I get back, he's going to go on to say when he's talking uh, to Elisha there, he says, I know when I get back, there are going to be times when I'm around people who are worshiping other gods. There are going to be times when my faith is tested. There are going to be times when, when people are bowing down to other gods, and I may even have to bow down to that God in, in symbolic ways because my master is touching me, and so I may have to bow down too. And so I know I'm going to be in situations that may be potentially compromising, and I want to bring something back with me to create a sacred place over here. Uh, I have experienced God in this dirt, and so I want to take this dirt back with me so that I can, can remember that and have that reminder of God's presence here. And there may be times when that is tested. There may be times when my faith is, is challenged, or I may be tempted to compromise, and, and I'm going to need a Yahweh-filled sacred space over here to remember who God is, how he's worked in my life, and, and the way that I experienced God in that dirt. Uh, so for our students, um, it may be that you had this amazing experience with God at camp this summer. And it may be that, that, that you experienced God over here in this dirt. But now you're going to, to different dirt. Now you're going back to school. Uh, maybe for you, school feels like a place where God is foreign and distant. Maybe for our teachers, school feels like a place where God is foreign and distant. It's a forgotten wasteland. Not really, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just, that's how you feel at the end of the school year, right? Hopefully not the beginning. <laughs> it's full of opportunity at the beginning, right? Uh, but remembering where and how God has impacted your life can give you peace and strength in a place that you feel is foreign and distant from God. Uh, that may be a literal place. That may be figurative. Maybe you're just in a season right now where, where it's hard for you to see God. It's hard for you to feel like the presence of God is around you because of what's going on in your family, what's going on at work, that you're about to go back to school. And sometimes in those moments, it's helpful to have reminders that remind ourselves, uh, I have experienced the, the moving nature of God. I have experienced the power of God. I have experienced the spirit of God before in my, in my life. And I need to take that memory into this place that is challenging to my faith. And we read throughout the Old Testament that there is value in remembering not only the specifics of what God did, but the locations at which he did them. That there's something about tying that experience to a location and, and remembering the, the space that I was in that helps to connect those things to us going forward. And to be reminders for us that when I get back to this dirt over here, the God who is at work in that dirt is at work in this dirt. The God who is at work in that situation can be at work in this situation as well. 
And so what I want to invite us to do this morning, I need four uh, helpers. If some of our students or somebody else wants to come back up here. Yeah, Jasmine, come on up. Aiden, yeah, sure. Hannah, all right. We need one more. Who's going to be the fourth? All right, good job, Regan. Peer pressure, positive peer pressure. <laughs> all right. Uh, so y'all can each, each take a bucket. Pass one of these out to everybody. Uh, last year I gave out carabiners. Uh, this year we have little keychains. So just give, give one to everybody. You can pick a color. Yeah, walk around, pass one out. Students, adults, everybody gets one. Uh, nice little Price is Right demonstration there, Aiden. Thank you. <laughs> um, we got these little keychains. Simple little things. Uh, the, the silver thing isn't that sturdy. I wouldn't put like four keys on this thing and expect them to fit. Uh, but if you take this little silver thing off, there's a piece of paper that you can slide out, write something on, stick it back in. So here's what I want to invite you to do. Um, I want to invite you to think about a place where you have experienced God. Maybe if you're a student, maybe, maybe it's best to think about this summer. Uh, maybe there's a camp that you went to. Maybe there's a, a conversation around your dinner table. Maybe your location is the dinner table at your house. Maybe your location is, is your couch. Uh, did I say dinner table at your couch? I think I combined two things. Some people have dinner tables at your couch. That's fine. I meant dinner table at your house or sitting on your couch. <laughs> Either way works. Uh, maybe it was an experience here at, at our church building. I want you to think about, or maybe, maybe you have to think farther back. Maybe there's an experience you had, maybe sitting in a hospital room, uh, sitting with a friend, sitting at Starbucks. I want you to think about a location that is tied to an experience you've had with God. Write that location on here. Uh, then you can stick this on your keychain, on your backpack, in the cup holder of your car, and forget about it for a few months until you find it and then th eventually throw it away, whatever you end up doing with it. <laughs> I know these types of things are more meaningful to some than others. Um, but to remember, this is a place where I have experienced God before. I have experienced God in this dirt. And perhaps you can use that as a reminder if you clip it on your backpack, keychain, whatever, as a reminder that as you find yourself in, in situations that may seem foreign, where God may seem distant, if you're a student, yeah, y'all can just set those back up here somewhere. Uh, maybe you are blessed to have a, a, a place at school where God feels, feels present and, and you just feel very connected to God there. But maybe you have a place at school that's, that's scary, if you're just honest, honest with yourself. Maybe it's a certain hallway that you go down. Right? I remember when I was a freshman, I had to go down the upper class hallway for one of my classes. That was a scary place. Uh, God was not in that place. <laughs> um, maybe for you it's the band hall, the locker room, a certain classroom, whatever it may be. Maybe for you it's your car as you head to work, dreading what's about to come in your day, or sitting at your cubicle, or sitting at your desk. Whatever is the, the hardest place for you to feel like is, is a connection to God. Uh, to remember, the God who is in that dirt is in this dirt as well. Uh, so just an invitation to do that, to write that the location of a, of a place you have experienced God. Um, I thought about handing out little vials of dirt, but I decided this would make it a little more personal. So, plus I didn't want to go collect all that dirt. So, um, I think Naaman then, one of the things I love about this story is, is the questions that it invites us to ask. It exposes a lot about our human nature, about our pride, about the ways in which we, I think we expect God to show up sometimes and in the, the ways that he does and how they may surprise us, uh, but ultimately impact us. And it can serve as a reminder 
of the need to do simple things well and of the need to recognize where and how God has worked in my past and to remember that the same God who worked there can be at work in my future as well. And ultimately, it's a story about a God of restoration. Uh, I don't think we can miss uh, the, the imagery of baptism in this story as Naaman is, is dipped into the water and comes out fully restored and re- renewed. That he has been completely given new life as he rises out of the waters. And we too, as we are baptized and, and come out of the water, are given new life as one created new in Christ. And so this morning, uh, maybe it is that imagery for you, that, that maybe that's something you've been contemplating your, in your life, and, and the next step on your faith journey is to, to put on Christ in baptism and experience uh, the, the profound impact of a seemingly simple act of, of going down into water and coming up renewed that Naaman experiences in this story and that many others in Christ have experienced in their own story. Uh, or maybe there's something else that you take from Naaman's story that, that you can live forward Um, and live out in your own life, or maybe there are simply questions to ask yourself from this story this morning. But as I said, ultimately I think it's a story of restoration. And as we prepare to share in communion together, we are reminded that as we come together around this table of communion, uh, of remembering the body of Christ broken and given and resurrected for us, that we are reminded of the the, the restoration offered to us in Christ. And we were reminded uh, of the power of simple things like remembering Christ in the taking of this bread and the sharing of this cup. And that we were reminded each and every Sunday that the God who meets us and the Savior who hosts us at this table will be at work as we go into our lives this week. Whether that takes us back to school, uh, whether that takes us back to our bed um, laid up with a broke ankle, whatever it leads to this week, uh, The God who hosts us and who is at work in this meal is at work in those situations as well. So I want to invite you to stand now as we sing, as we prepare uh, to share in this communion meal together this morning, remembering the restoration that is brought to us in Christ. Uh, So we'll sing together uh, and then pray our prayer of confession together as we share in communion this morning.
together and then we'll share in communion. I'll pray the parts in white and together we'll pray the parts in yellow. Father, we confess to each other and to you, our creator, that we fall short of being what we were created to be and what we have committed ourselves to be. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of Christ. We often seek out the easiest path, paths of least involvement in places where we might be uncomfortable, or paths of self-centeredness. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of righteousness. We confess that we have not loved you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. Bring us out of darkness, Lord, and into the light of your love. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of light. Forgive us for getting so caught up in the world's trappings and its false messages of hope that we lose sight of the hope of the kingdom, which brings healing and peace to a world in turmoil. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of peace. May we resolve to become more kingdom-minded, be peacemakers here and now. Amen. Amen. You may be seated.